So we've been going through the story, and a lot of you have been asking, uh, when are we going to get back to the story? Well, we're back, and so you're welcome for that. What happened is we opened up the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, the first week of the year, and uh, we've been just rolling. What we read about is how God has this passionate love for mankind. He creates them. He breathes his life into uh, into Adam and, and then creates Eve from Adam's rib. And then he creates this perfect place for them to dwell forever. There's only just a few rules, right? Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of, gar- of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, Adam and Eve screwed that up, and if they didn't, I would have, right? So, or you would have if you're older than me. Whoever was going to be first, right, we, we all would have, have messed that up. So no blame on, on Adam and Eve. Well, the story just goes. And it all really extends from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God gives the punishment for sin entering the world, and his biggest punishment is to Satan. You guys remember Genesis 3. Like, instead of cussing, just say Genesis 3. That is the pivotal moment in which the world changed. Sin enters the world as this spiritual virus, and and we've been fighting this fight against sin our whole, like, yeah, no, that's right. Our whole life, right? I mean, you, you fought against sin this morning. Well, I just want to tell you that God's on your side. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God tells Satan, Satan, there will be a hatred between you and this woman and, and, and her offspring. And he will crush your head. And the only thing you'll be able to do is bruise his heel while he's doing it. Of course, that was, it's called the first gospel, and it was the telling of Jesus. And so what we've been watching is that God's, the development of God's people ever since then. Our most recent like scene was the story of the judges, God's people. We call them Israel at this point in the story. Uh, they're like numerous as the stars in the skies, the Bible says. But yet they go through these series, uh, these seasons of unfaithfulness. Anybody else? No, just me? Okay. They're like, man, God, we don't want to have anything to do with you. Then they see the consequences of what they're doing. Then they come back to God, and they're like, God, please save us. God raises up a judge. You guys remember Deborah and Samson uh, and Gideon, right? He brings up these judges. They bring the nation of Israel back to repentance, back to a nation that loves God. It reminds them of their first love. Then they come back to God, and everything's good again until the judge dies. Then they go back to their ways. It's, it's a big cycle. Well, we are going to be introduced to the last judge this morning. And so that's kind of where we are. So you're caught up in the story with where we are. Man, if, if you've been around me uh, for any time, I like this. I like sitting down. How do I get one of these chairs up here? Um, if you've been around me, you know that I like to ask interesting questions uh, sometimes I'll ask you a question, you know, we're just hanging out, and I ask you a question, you're like, where did that come from? Um, if you've been in, in any of my small groups, a small group I've led, you know the drill. Like, you're like, oh, no, here we go. Roger's asking questions again. Uh, here's some interesting questions. I'll let you get to know some of your coworkers or your family or spouse a little bit better. Uh, if you came with a warning label, what would it be? Don't answer that. Um, What's your, what's your go-to karaoke song? If you had to sing a karaoke song, what would you, dude, that's a surprise. You will be surprised, I promise, at that one. Uh, ask your spouse that one. That would be fun. Um, Pepsi or Coke? We're in North Carolina. Choose carefully. 
Um, so, so what would you choose? Would you rather go to the, the mountains or the beach or the casino for vacation? Um, if you could live in, in any time period, where would, uh, what time period? Like, I love these questions. Um, if you could, this is a good one. If you could have a non-common, uncommon, that's the better word. If you could have an uncommon superpower, what would it be? My wife's, my wife's uh, super uncommon superpower would be to shoot spaghetti from her fingertips when she was mad. And I'm glad she doesn't have that. I think I'd be always covered in spaghetti. Um, if you could ask God a few questions, what would they be? First one would probably be, why on earth or in hell would you create mosquitoes? And then I would ask this, God, what's the true mark of a disciple? God, what, what are they? And we do our best here to find out what a disciple looks like. Remember, that's our passion here. At Restore Church, we love it when someone gives their life to Jesus, but we're not finished when that happens. If you've given your life to Jesus and then you've, you've just settled to sit in a chair, you, you're not done. Right? You, you, you are, your goal is to be a disciple of Jesus. And so, God, what are the marks of a disciple? And if, if we were to come up with a list, we would say things like, like reading your Bible. And yeah, that, that's, man, that's it. That's how we hear from God. A prayer, a committed, all-the-time prayer life. Uh, man, that's a true mark of a disciple. Attending church, even when it's raining, you check that one off. Good job. Uh, private personal worship. How often are you just admiring God for who he is on your own? Like, those are good, true marks of a disciple. If you were to make a list of 10, a list of 20, where would listening show up on your list? Mine would probably be pretty far down there. I mean, I would do things like serving and giving and, uh, you know, volunteering, whatever that is, but... Listening would fall pretty far down on my list. Where does it show up on yours? Um, while, our, while our volunteers pass out Bibles, if anybody needs a Bible, just throw your hands up, um, uh, and, and they'll, they'll bring one to you. No shame. I'm using the same, the same exact one up here, and so don't be ashamed of that. But while they're, uh, while they're passing those out, you, you might recall Jesus saying this about listening. He says, the, My sheep... My sheep will know my voice. So here's the goal. If Jesus says, my sheep will know my voice, then it has to be our goal as Jesus' sheep, if he's our shepherd, to be able to hear his voice, right? I mean, don't you want to hear from, from the voice of God? I, I know that I do. And so one of the primary characteristics of a Christ follower is to listen. Here's the issue. Our society doesn't listen. We talk and we talk and we talk. And then when someone else starts to speak, we just talk louder. <laughs> listen to me. Or we post longer. Or we unfollow them because we just don't want to listen. You need to listen to me. I don't need to listen to you. Uh, Will Rogers, he's, he was speaking about Congress, and he said it's, it's the same. It's on the screen. It says this, Congress is so strange. Someone stands up and speaks about nothing, and no one listens, and then everyone disagrees and argues about it. I don't know that you would be able to you know, see that by our society, but you know, that's all we do is argue. 
So, if there's something that we're going to do today that's going to make our, stra- our faith stronger tomorrow, put our hope back in God again, or strengthen your hope. If you want something that's going to help your relationship with God and help your relationship with each other and your marriage, it's going to be to listen. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So essentially what we find ourselves in the story is we're at the book of 1 Samuel. Um, and so, uh, and that's where we are. We're in, we're in the book of uh, 1 Samuel. The story covers almost the whole book of 1 Samuel. It's about like 12 pages, 13 pages. It's not that much reading to do. Um, but it's a lot to pull from. I mean, there's a lot. One of my favorite stories on your own time, read about Jonathan. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, he does, he does one of the most manly things ever, and it needs to be made in a movie. If you're a movie maker, make a movie. And I'll play Jonathan. You're welcome. So what we're going to do today to help us, so the story takes a 10,000-foot view of the Bible. And so in chapter 10, standing tall and falling hard, or 1 Samuel, it takes a 10,000-foot uh, view. And so you can pull a lot from it. I, I would have loved to have preached from, uh, from 1 Samuel 14, but we got to do the whole story. Here's where we are. We are in such a godless time. You might think I'm talking about now. But I'm also talking about uh, in these days. Actually, Judges, the, the book of Judges, we talked about that cycle. It ends, the last verse in Judges says this. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. It's, it's on the screen for you. Or in the Restore app, if you're following us on the Restore Church app, or the Version app, you can follow us on the live events there. Um, in those days, Israel had no king. And everyone did as they saw fit. Now, while that might sound like a really good time to you, uh, it really was a godless time. And the nation of Israel fits into that. The nation of Israel, which is supposed to be God's people, and he's supposed to be their God. It's, it's a give-and-take relationship. Like, you got to do your side of it for me to provide my side. And, nation, and the nation of Israel is, is turning their back on who God is. There's a lot of themes, like I said, you can pull from, from 1 Samuel, but um, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to look at three stories about how people listen to God and people who don't and the consequences that they suffer. The first story we're gonna, that you see in 1 Samuel is a story of Hophni and Phinehas. Now, the story of 1 Samuel actually opens up with this woman, really faithful woman, her name's Hannah, and she says she's barren. Now, here's what's interesting. How many women have we ran into in the Bible who are barren, who can't have children? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of their wives, they can't have children. And they plead to God, God, please let me. The whole nation of Israel, which again is like the, the number of stars in the sky or sand on the seashore, came from barren women. It's interesting that this theme keeps coming up. I want to say this to you. If you're one of those women and you have some characteristics that, that I, I will never have, man, you, you have perseverance that, that I've never experienced. You, you've had to rely and pray to God for something so genuine that, that I, I, I've never experienced that kind of, uh, of devotion like Hannah has. They find Hannah praying in such a way that they think she's drunk. Now, some of y'all, Cinco de Mayo, you're stumbling in here. 
We're just going to assume you're praying, all right? Uh, anyway, we'll pray for you. Sprinkle some grape juice on you or something. So, uh, so she, she's praying, and God grants her prayer. She's such an earnest woman, such a faithful woman. He says, all right, you'll, you'll have a son then. And she says, thank you, Lord. I will give him to you. I will dedicate him to your life. A lot like how we had the next-gen families up here dedicating their child and say, we're going to raise him to love you. And so Samuel finds himself living in the home of Eli, the priest of the tabernacle. Well, Eli has these two sons. Their name's Phineas uh, and, um, and Eli. And so, uh, here we go. I, I want to show you the spiritual climate of what we're talking about. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Again, this is on the screen for you. It says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, who was a priest. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare, where there were not many visions. If you're looking to hear from God, but the, but the prayers or the, the, the word of the Lord is rare, you're not going to hear from him very often. Now, the role of a priest was to stand between the people and God and God and stand like for them to communicate to God from the people and from God to the people. And it's interesting that these priests aren't hearing from God. They've got no word to give to them. Hophni and Phinehas are some of those leaders. They are the leaders. They are the priests that would be hearing from God to give messages to the people. But here's what, first, here's what we learn about them. It's the next, uh, the next verse, if you're following along. 1 Samuel chapter 2. So it just we're going to go back one chapter. But chapter 2, verse 12. And it says this about Eli's sons. They were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. How would you like to attend a church or be a part of a church service and then, and then find out, like, in a blog post that someone writes this about... Someone's probably called me a scoundrel somewhere, I'm sure, but don't look for it online. You'll probably find it. You, you might have done it. If you did, take it down before it comes up in your memories and you share it again. Um... I do, we do need to pause for a minute and say this. Just because someone has the name reverend or apostle, a self-appointed apostle, just because just someone calls themselves a minister or a pastor, that doesn't make them one. That doesn't make them a messenger from God. We've got two scoundrels here who are delivering messages from God and and the Bible says that it's been a long time since, since the, the word of the Lord is rare. Read the Bible and compare your leader to what the Bible calls a leader to be. And you can judge them by their fruit. That's what the Bible says. And their fruit is not a big church. Their fruit is not being able to speak well. Their fruit is making disciples. And so if your leader is making disciples or that apostles making disciples, they have pastors making disciples. Make sure that the disciples they're making is of the Lord, disciples of Jesus, not disciples of themselves. All right, we're back. We pushed pause, now we're pushing play. Phineas and Hophni are all about themselves. They're using the power that God has given them for sex and for money. Sex, money, and maybe rock and roll. Who knows? It might have been a part of back there. I don't know. It might have been jamming on a harp. 
But what you have here are people who are using God's power for their own gain and for their own pride. They were all about themselves. They weren't listening to their father, Eli, who was a godly man. They weren't listening to the message from the Lord to give to their people. And so during this time, there's a spiritual drought. Of course there is. Why would their people hear from God when their leaders aren't searching for God? It's interesting now, though, that God says, I'm going to intervene here, and I'm going to start to speak to my people. Are you listening? And instead of choosing the religious leaders, God chooses a child. Instead of speaking through the religious leaders, he comes to Samuel. And this is what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10. It says, the Lord came and stood there calling uh, as the other times. He called two more times. And he says, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel responds this way. Speak for your servant is listening. If you have your own Bible or you're using the YouVersion app or whatever, you need to highlight or, under that, or underline that. You need to go home and with an Expo marker, write that on your mirror or whatever you got to do because this needs to be a monitor of your life if you're a disciple of Jesus. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What a humble response. What, a, what an opportunity that he's, he's shown. But the message that he gives to Samuel is not for Samuel, it's for Eli, the godly priest. And this is what he tells him. He says, Eli, uh, tell Eli this. And Eli finally comes to, to Samuel and he says, just tell me what the Lord said. Samuel's like, no, you don't want to hear it. Eli just said, just tell me. He said, well, because of the behavior of Phineas and Hophni, you will not, your bloodline will stop. You will die, and they will both die, and they won't have sons. And uh, if, if you're familiar with that culture, your name is, uh, is your riches. So, it happens. They go into war. Hophni and Phineas both die. Um, what's worse is in this war, the Philistines, the godless nation, they take the Ark of the Covenant. The Spirit of God is no longer with God's people. And so uh, someone escapes from the war, from the army. They come to Eli and they tell Eli, uh, which this is what we hear about Eli. Eli is 98 and he's overweight. And they come and tell him and, and he, they say, your sons have died. And then they say, and the Ark of the Lord has been taken and Eli falls out of his chair and onto his fat neck, and it breaks the chair and his neck, and Eli dies. And so right there, in just a matter of a chapter, you see the line of Eli die, or the line of Eli cease because of the actions of Phineas and, uh, and Hophni. They just choose not to listen to God. It's not that, you'll hear this over and over this morning, it's not that God's not speaking, it's that they're not listening. It's not that God's not speaking, it's just that we're not listening. And so, here's what's interesting about this story, and, and um, think about how it could have been. We talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <clears throat> we could also be talking about uh, Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, had they chosen a godly life. Now, um, uh, here's, uh, let's talk about this for a minute. When you read through the story, there's an upper story, right? Genesis to Revelation, the beginning to the end, the alpha, the omega, okay? We know, we have our hope in the upper story. But where Phineas and Hophni got stuck is in the lower story. 
So the lower story is what we're living out right now. It's, it's these scenes that we read in the Bible. It's our everyday life. But they got stuck in this lower story where this is all there is. And y'all, if this is all there is, why not? Why not use sex and money and power to get what you want? Why not? If this is all there is, but there's not. This isn't all there is. And we have hope that there is an upper story. We have a, a faith and a reliance on who God is and on a powerful, almighty, loving, merciful, and just God. And that's where our hope lies, in the upper story, not in the lower story. And so another theme you're going to hear today is don't get stuck in the lower story. And Phineas and Hophni get stuck right here, and so why wouldn't they give themselves over to those things? You might be stuck in a lower story, and so here's one, of the, uh, here's one of the applications that you can take if you want to listen to God, or when you listen to God through God's word. Listen humbly. Listen humbly. Your response should be, speak, Lord, because... Your servant is listening. And one reason that we don't listen to God is simply because we don't need to. Right? I mean, you know, God, I'll come get you when I'm ready. You just stay right there. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, it says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Don't be a fool. Be wise, listen to advice, but the best advice to listen to is not from me, it's not from your neighbor, although, you know, we're godly people, you can listen to them. It's got to come from God's word, and that's where our advice comes from. There's a financial advisor, and he's sitting around with a bunch of millionaires. They all made their money the same way. They were athletes, basketball players who make more money than football players and baseball players, and uh, he's sitting around. He said, I'm going to tell you how to avoid going broke. You see all the time uh, athletes or, or musicians or whatever, like MC Hammer, they make all this money, and then uh, they were so legit, they quit. <laughs> like, they, they went broke. They spent all their money. It's all gone. And uh, so he's telling them, guys, I'm going to tell you the secret to protecting your money so it doesn't come. And one guy raised his hand. He said, is it bad investments? No, it's not bad investments. Is it, is it people who, are, uh, who are, are mooching off of you? He said, no, it's, it's not that. They said, so what is it? Here, here it is. Listen, this would be good for you too. The one thing that's going to protect your money is to protect your marriage. Not because of the cost of lawyers or the cost of, uh, of, um, of divorce or, or, the, or you know, paying half or, or all of that, but it, it's, it's going to cost. And it's going to cost you emotionally. And then it's going to cost you relationally. And it's going to send you into this tailspin of trying to fill all of that with your biggest abundance. And what's that going to be for an athlete with all this money? It's going to be money. So they're going to throw their money at meaningless things. And so they get caught in, he says, protect your marriage. I just, we got to say this, man. We love families and we love you. Hold on to your marriage. And don't let anyone get in between it. Not your job, not your career, not your parents or your family, not outside, um, not outside influences, not a deployment, not time apart, but you cling together. God loves marriage and he hates divorce. And I, I can't say that with more passion. But here's what happens. We get caught in the lower story. 
Like, we just can't get out of what's happening. And we can't get out of, of our, our financial issues that we just, we just had or, or, or the fight that, that we just had or the act that you just did or, or what you said to me. And so we get caught in this lower story, forgetting about the upper story of forgiveness and grace and, 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 and those things. We get stuck right here. And you know what? Why not quit? If this is all you got, young people, it, look, make it in your, put it in your rules. You will never say the D word. It's just not an option. Leaving is not an option. You can stand at the other side of, you can stand as close to my face as you want and scream at me. You can go in the other room for as long as you want. It's a rule in our house. Divorce is not an option. Marriage is tough. This sermon is not about marriage. I wish it was. I love to preach about it. Don't get stuck in the lower story. Your marriage is meant for more than that. But we get stuck in the lower story on a bunch of other things too, don't we? How about temptation? I, I just heard through the grapevine, I don't, I don't know if this is true or not, but there are some people who just give in to temptation. I don't know what that's like. I just heard. <laughs> hey, don't get stuck in the lower story. Um, I, I, you know, I, we can get stuck in, in the pressure from the world, from the outside world. Don't get stuck in the lower story. Here's the thing is God is speaking to you. And we get caught in the, in the lower story, and then we put ourselves first. right? We need to listen to God humbly. His, his design for marriage is perfect. His design for, for pushing out pressures of the world is perfect. His design for your life and for loving him is perfect. The question isn't, is God speaking? The question is, are we listening? All right, second story. Got to kind of go fast. See, I haven't preached in two weeks, so I'm just like trying to get it all out. The people of Israel, they don't want to listen to God. Um, they want a king now. The cycle of the, the judges that they're coming out of God was their king. Now they want a king at this point. Um, and so we see in um, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 19 to 20. Um, this is what it says. <clears throat> it says that, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. Samuel said, you don't want a king. A king is going to take all your women and your daughters. He's going to use them for themselves. He's going to take all your men and all of your young boys. He's going to use them for his army. He's going to take all of your money and use them for his own gain. But the people did not listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Uh, then we will be like all the other nations. <laughs> My cousin over, over there, they got a king. My uncle and them, they got a king. Why can't we have a king? God's just not good enough for them, and so they want a king. Um, and we want a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel takes it personally. In chapter 8, verse 7, um, God says to them, uh, he says, the Lord told them, listen to all the people who are saying, it's not you they've rejected. They rejected me as their king. Uh, make God first in your life. Make God your king, not all these other things. But then we enter Saul. Now, I know this might be silly for those of you who have been Christians for a long time. This is not the same Saul in the New Testament. 
And for those of you who are just now becoming Christians or Christ followers or just now getting introduced to the whole story of the Bible, there are two main characters, Saul's, guys who share the same name, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. I went to Bible college and for two semesters believed they were the same person, and I was all kinds of confused. All right, so they're, they're different people. Um, this Saul, um, we, we need to give him a, a little bit of a break. If you know the end of the story, we're really quick to hate on him, but... Um, we, need to, we need to give him a break. When we first meet this character named Saul, uh, he's looking for his father's donkeys. And so it's really interesting that uh, we meet him, he's looking for his donkeys. Next week we're going to meet David, King David. You know what he's doing first? He's, he's tending sheep. And so it's, it seems a little bit ironic, but um, it's here that while he's looking for his donkeys, Samuel finds Saul. God tells Samuel, this is who's going to be the next king, is this humble person who's looking for his donkeys. He anoints Samuel, or Samuel finds Saul, he anoints Saul, and he says, all right, we've got it, now go home. Now your father's getting worried, not for the donkeys, but for you and for your life. And so he sends Saul back home. And so Saul gets back home, a few days pass, he anointed him, and now the inauguration. And here's what's interesting. It's time for the inauguration, and they can't find Saul anywhere. Imagine that. We're, we're about to have our inauguration of Donald Trump, and we can't, well, everyone's going to be able to find Donald Trump. He'll be right there center stage. That was not a political joke. Don't take it as such. But can you imagine the next president, whoever it may be, and they're stand, we're ready to inaugurate, and we have all this pomp and circumstance, and it's January 20th, and we can't find him. And we can't find Saul either, but then we do find Saul. Now here's, hold on, before we put this verse up. What they say about Saul is that he's a head taller than the rest, and he's swole. All right, so we just got this big dude who's taller than everybody, and he's just, he's just flexing all the time, but he's humble because this is, this is what's interesting. They can't find him. And then in verse uh, chapter 10, verse 22, it says, uh, Then they inquired further, the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he's hidden himself among the supplies. Dog, you ain't hiding from anybody. All right, we, we, f- we found you. You are tall. You are big. We can't, you can't hide. But what we learn here is that he's not center stage material. He doesn't want to be in the spotlight. He wants to hide. He wants, look, I'll be the king, but can I do it from behind the scenes? And God honors a humble leader. Are you a leader? Be humble. He wants to humble, uh, he, he wants to honor this. And so he honors Saul as the leader. He wants to, he honors Saul uh, as the leader. He, they, they go into war, they win. People try to invade and he protects them. But then Put this in your like journal or something. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. If you give one person power for too long over too many people, it will corrupt absolutely every time. You give a small group of people power, and it will corrupt every time. Especially when they're not led by God. Paul or Saul, <laughs> Saul experiences that. And power goes to his head. And so Paul, or, whoo, Old Testament Saul. I knew I was going to do this. Saul, the power goes to Saul's head, and Saul starts to corrupt. 
Um, and so here's, here's our second lesson. Listen humbly is the first one. The second one is listen obediently. Without an independent spirit. When we hear from God, uh, when the people of Israel hear, hear from God, they have this predisposition to argue or to, to ask why. James chapter 1, verse 19, uh, I'll, I need this on the screen. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and, and slow to become angry. Listen, these are not three independent ideas. This is a process, okay? I wish the American culture could listen to this verse. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and every time you'll be slow to become angry. Um, Stephen Covey, he writes this, he says, um, seek to understand, then be understood. Listen first, then speak, uh, be slow to speak, and be slow to become angry. The nation of Israel just wants to ask why first. They want to they, they stand in opposition to what God has to say to them. But, but I, 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 and, and that's me. Like, I don't want to obey right away. I want to know why this is happening. Tell me why this is going on. It's just like your children, right? They say, why? And you're like, because. Why? Because I said so. And we're going to talk about that phrase in just a second. But the Bible says this. says, honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment, and it will go long with you as you live. Now, it says, honor your father and mother so that you will live long in the land. This doesn't mean that you're going to live forever, but uh, I want teenagers, you listening? Okay, good. Wake up. Listen. If, and this is something to teach your children, um, if you just listen to your parents, your life will be easier, I promise. And I mean that sincerely. It will create less tension in your family. Your parents will be, they've already got enough stress. They will be less stressed. Like, while this is, we're kind of joking here, it's serious. That it's one less thing for them to, to worry about. And so when they say to you, go clean your room, it's not why. It's because I told you to. It's because I said so. And listen, if you have parents who love you because I said so is an adequate response. When I was a teenager, I used to think because I said so uh, was like just this cop out. My parents were punks. But my parents loved me. And so when they told me to do something, it wasn't to hurt me or harm me. They loved me. And so because I say so, it's good. Now apply that to your relationship with God. God loves you. And if he says so, we can understand why later. But if he says so, it's good enough. You don't have to know why. And you don't have to like it. All right, imagine this, teenagers. All right, Dad says, go clean your room. What if you just said, all right. I'm going to do it. Now, you go up and you clean your room. But you're, listening to your parents is not some sort of slavery. Like I used to think this, um, you know, I'm a slave. You're just treating me like, like you own me. Imagine this. You go up and you, and you clean your room, right? And then your bed looks so good, but then there's a pile of clothes on the floor. And you're like, hmm, man, this bed looks good, but those clothes are dirty. I'm going to wash them on my own. It's not that hard. I'm going to wash them on my own. And then you, you, you teenagers, listen, you take it down, you wash it, and then there's a bunch of other dirty clothes. And you're like, I'm going to wash all these clothes. So you wash them, and then you dry them, and then you fold them. You don't put them away because no one does that. And then, but you do put them in neat little piles. And then you're like, man, this floor is dirty. So you, you vacuum the floor. Whoa. 
Then you're like, you put, your parents have left, and so now, the, now you're noticing the smudge marks on the windows. And so you start cleaning. You're like, man, whoever, if there's a kid out here that does all this, I'm going to adopt them. They spray, the, you, you, clean the, you clean the windows. And then as you look out the window, you notice that your parents' car is dirty. So you're like, man, I, my parents can't ride around in that. I love them. I don't want them to see. So, so you clean the car. And then while you do that, you, you notice that the garage is a little dirty. So you, you sweep out the garage. And then you're like, man, my, our yard, right? <laughs> I got to take care of this. So then you take care of your yard. And then you come back in. You're so tired. But you just did all of these things. And then your parents come home. And they walk in the door. And they're like, oh, my goodness. I promise you. They will drop dead and you will be free. <laughs> you won't be a slave anymore. Isn't that a good line? That's good. Hey, but, but seriously, um, if we listened with the obedience to God that we wish our kids would listen to us, how much problems would you, would you avoid? Like God's like, I want to bless you. I want to help you. I just can't. Because you won't let me. You won't listen. Just listen. And for God to speak to you is the same way you would speak to your kids. Because I said so is good enough. Look, obedience <clears throat> is a part of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 28, you sick of these verses? Good, me either. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus tells the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to do what? Go to church and sit down. No, no, no. He says to obey the commands that, to obey everything I've commanded. Obedience is a part of being a disciple. All right, last story. Uh, so listen humbly, listen obediently, and then uh, the story of Saul uh, is the one we're going to look at now. Saul becomes king. We find him a number of years later, and power has gotten to his head a little bit. Um, and where we find Saul as king is now he's not worshiping according to God's commands. Listen to what the Bible says here. Quite a few verses, so stay with me. Uh, it's 1 Samuel chapter 13. Um, verses 5 through 14. Good. There we go. Yeah. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel. You follow me? Um, with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, name your next son that, east of Beth Avon. Now, Imagine you're about to go to war, and the people you're about to fight are like numerous as the sand on the seashore. When the Israelites saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, so they're running away. Saul remained in Gilgal, and uh, all the troops with him were quaking with fear, tall and buff doesn't, doesn't mean brave, apparently. He waited seven days in time, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the offering, the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. Let's pause right here. They were waiting for Samuel to get there. The priest who would offer the sacrifice, but Saul just gets so ahead of himself that he does it all himself. And verse 11 says, what have you done? 
Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time uh, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Samuel says, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. We know who that is. That's David. Um, He has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Saul is too proud to wait. He just takes things in his own hands. He offers a sacrifice, which is not his role to do. It was a priest's role. So he doesn't, and then they go into this war. He goes into war with the Amalekites, and God tells, um, and God, uh, after God leads Saul and the nation of Israel to victory over the Amalekites, he gives them some specific instruction. He tells them, destroy everything in the nation, every living thing. But at least that's what he tells Saul to do. Here's what Saul does in verse 8. He says, he took Agog, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs. You can kind of see what what Saul's thinking. He's like, listen, I don't have to do everything God said. Like, I can use Agog as as a bargaining chip. I can use him to... I don't know, maybe convert him and he can help. We'll keep the best of, our thi- best of the, the sheep and the calves. I can feed my people. These, were un, um, these they were unwilling to destroy, but everything that was despised and weak, he totally destroyed. Um, he's just got a better plan than God does. Anybody else? What he says is God doesn't really mean what, what he says. When, when we're talking about being obedient to God, You can't question what he says, right? God does mean what he says. And then Saul and Samuel meet, right? Uh, He says in um, verse 13 to 17, uh, we just read that um, where he says, uh, well, no, we didn't. Verse chapter 15, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Chapter 15, uh, verse 13 to 17. He says, um, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Oh, have you, Saul? But, but Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? <laughs> what is this lowing of cattle that I hear? He was supposed to kill all these sheep. They're talking, and Samuel's like, or Saul's like, I got it. I did everything he said. And Samuel's like, why do I hear sheep? And then Saul says, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. It was the soldiers' fault. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to destroy the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Samuel says, enough. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Skip down to verse 28. He says um, in verse 28, Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors. David. All right, let's wrap this up. Lesson three. Listening means obeying wholeheartedly. 
<laughs> Saul did what God asked him to do. He just didn't do it completely. He listened. He just didn't listen completely. He worshiped God, but he just didn't worship him completely. He destroyed the Amalekites. He just didn't do it completely. And so Saul is following God. He's just not completely following God with his whole heart. And listen, if you're not following God completely, you're not following God at all. Saul decides, or, or God decides, man, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, move to a king who's going to love me and love people. Jesus says this, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments because I said so. Saul listens with partial obedience. All right, so let's pause for a second. He, he, God tells him to destroy every living thing, in every living Amalekite, every living one, and destroy all of its livestock. Now, here, here's the thing. He didn't listen. And there's real implications to this because the Amalekites were the first Nazis. They were the first anti-Semitic. They were going to wipe all Jews out from the world, right? Well, God, well, uh, Saul decides to keep uh, Agag to himself, well, keeps him alive. And rabbinic tradition says that Agag continued to have children and that led anti-Semitic revolutions for the rest of their lives and bred hate until the day that they died. Listening to, not listening to God, or listening to God partially is not listening to God at all. Partial obedience is not uh, obedience. Either you're all in or you're not. There is room here while you're trying to discover God, but once you become a Christian, it's all in. You can't do it halfway. Matter of fact, Jesus says in Revelation, if you choose to be hot, choose to be hot or cold, he said, just choose, because if you're lukewarm, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. You make me sick. I don't want my wife to love me halfway. I want her to be all in. I don't want my kids to love me halfway. I want them to be all in. Jesus says, I want you to love me all the way. I don't want you to be halfway. And so loving God, listening to God means I want to, I want to I'll listen to you completely. I want to be eager to do what you said. And that means with forgiveness, you forgive all the time, even when it hurts. It means you put God first in your finances, even when you don't have it. It means sharing the gospel, even when it's uncomfortable and you don't know all the answers. It means being baptized. You're like, I want to be a part of the church. I just don't want to do that. It's, it's committing yourself to being a part of a worship group like this, like being here on Sunday mornings to worship, even when it's raining, even when it's tough, even when you had a rough Cinco de Mayo. It's, it's committing to being a Christian all the time, not just when it's convenient. Partial obedience is disobedience. So we want to listen to God humbly. We want to listen to him with obedience, and we want to be obedient wholeheartedly. In 2004, uh, the Ukraine had an election. I'll just tell this last story. The Ukraine had an election, and uh, <clears throat> there was a presidential nominee, or I don't know if they have presidents, but uh, his name was Viktor Yushchenko. And in all the polls, on all the TVs, Yushchenko was going to be the president. He had won all the votes, and, um, and he, he was going to be it, man. It, it was like a landslide of this new president. So everyone knew it was a foregone conclusion that Yushchenko was going uh, to win the election. The ruling party, though, 
the, of the current president. They, they messed with, with him and with the election itself. They, they poisoned him. He, he got beat up. He had kind of a disfigured face when shown on TV. And then we find out that when they, they came onto the TV to give the final announcement, this is what the announcement said. It says, um, state-run television reported, Ladies and gentlemen, we now announce to you that the challenger, Victor Yushchenko, has been decisively defeated. It's like, how can all of the polls show that he's winning by a landslide, and then the last one, he's lost? Well, in the bottom of the screen, there was a... Um, a sign language interpreter for the deaf. And she signs this. As they're talking about Yushchenko losing, she signs this. She says, they are lying. And I'm ashamed to translate those lies. Yushchenko is our president. Well, the deaf community, they start texting each other. They, they start texting everyone. They, they, they lead this revolution called the Orange Revolution. And this is, what, um, this is what Philip Yancey writes. Listen to this, and this, this is how we'll end. When I heard the story behind the Orange Revolution, the image of a small screen of truth in the corner of the big screen became an ideal picture of the church. He says, you see, we as a church do not control the big screen. Go to any magazine rack or turn on the television, and you'll see a, const, a consistent message. What matters is how beautiful you are, or how much money you have, or how much power you have. Similarly, though the world includes many poor people, they rarely make the magazine covers or the news, the news shows. Instead, we focus on the super rich, names like Bill Gates or Oprah Winfrey. Our society, though, is hardly unique. Throughout history, nations have always glorified winners, not losers. Then, like the sign language translator in the lower right-hand corner of the screen, along comes a person named Jesus who says, in effect, don't believe the big screen. They're lying. It's the poor who are blessed, not the rich. It's the mourners who are blessed too as well as those who hunger and thirst and are persecuted. Those who go through life thinking they're on top end up on the bottom, and those who go through life feeling they're on the bottom end up on top. After all, what profit, what, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose its soul? Here's what I'm afraid of, is that we start listening to the big screen too much, and we, we just stop listening for God. And we start hearing all of these things around us that tell you who you are or, or what you're not. And we stop listening for the whisper of what Jesus is trying to tell you, who you are. And that you belong to him. I'm afraid that we start listening to the big screen and then we get stuck in our lower story. And then we, we like give up. And we just, we surrender for something less than what God has for your marriage and for your life and for your ministry and for your home and for your workplace and for the people around you who deserve to be loved like Jesus. Look, don't get stuck in the lower story. Let's, let's, let's listen to God humbly. 
looking for opportunities to be obedient. God, your servants are listening.